Okay, in John chapter 11, and we're in the portion here where obviously uh, Lazarus, uh, Martha's brother, has died. Then in verse 21 it says, Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that even now, whatsoever you ask of God, God will give it to you. Jesus said unto her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said unto him, No, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, and this is what he wants us to focus on this morning, I am, the great I am. When it says I am, you're going all the way back to even Exodus 3 and verse 14, when Moses asked the two questions that we always ask. The two questions that we always ask is, who am I? What is everything about? Second thing we ask is, who are you, God? And what are you about? And God answered him, in Exodus 3 and verse 14. His answer to both those questions was, I am with you. That's the answer to everything. I am with you. And so that's what he's saying here. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet yet will he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me will what? Will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Now, to understand this properly, what we have to understand is, you remember when God gave the commandment to Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if they did, what would happen? They they would die, but the Hebrew says, in dying, you will die. That's what the Hebrew says there. Certain translations will say, if you eat it, the the day that you eat it, you'll die. In dying there, what we have to understand about what death is, and we see a lot of it, what's going on right now, all over the world and, and in certain specific places right now. Death is never extinction, ever. It just means separation. That's what death is. And so, again, what, that's what it was saying in Genesis 2 and verse 17, in dying, you will die. In dying, being separated from me, physically you will die. But the spirit and the soul live forever because in man and man only he was made in the image of God man and woman when he said man he saw man and woman and so when he said that in Genesis 1 26 and 27 and he said it again in Genesis chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 that he created them male and female now we know that in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 14 it says whatsoever God does he does what forever. So God created man to forever abide in him, having his image, which is the spirit. As, a, as we are a dichotomous, uh, we're not a dichotomous being like the animal world, and they have a soul and a body. We were created in the image of God. We have spirit, soul, and body. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. We have spirit, soul, and body, and that's why in John 4, 23 and 24, God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So when it comes to worshiping God, do animals do that? No, but man does. 
And so this, this will do away with the fallacy and the false teaching again of annihilationism, right? All those that were truly born again and have eternal life will have eternal life. All others will be extinct, will be annihilated, which we know is not true. But that is a, again, that's a, that's a very big uh, false teaching that's going on today. Now, again, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He's, what power is there in resurrection? Think of the power that's involved in that. And the power that did that, the operating power, and remember, if we talk about God's nature, what is God's nature? It is the active energy of who he is. Who is he? He's love. There's, there's amazing active energy in the love of God. There's extreme and unbelievable power. That's what we have every single time. Anytime we want, we can go to him and get, have that power <clears throat> and experience his love. And even there in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7, God has not given us, those that are in Christ, the spirit of what? Fear, but of what? Power. And then it says, and love. And when I have power, when I submit to it, you remember what Paul said, when I'm weak, I am strong. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather, I glory in my infirmities because the power of Christ rests on me. The power. So we have power, and that power is in a tremendous amount of love. And when I function, when I have power, which I don't have outside of Christ, <clears throat> I, when I don't experience that love, do I have a well-disciplined mind knowing how to think about everything? And I won't. But 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us the spirit of fear. Remember, fear is a spirit. There's spirits, demonic spirits behind it. God has not, who is spirit, by the way, God has not given us the spirit of fear. But of what? Power, love, and a sound mind. And who is the measure of God's power? 1 Corinthians 1 and, and verse 24, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And does he reside in us as the treasure, each one of us, in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7? Does he? We have all the power we need right there, but we need, obviously, to submit to it. And that's why it says in 1 Peter 1 and verse 5, we are kept by the power of God. How does he keep us? By the power of God. Who's the power of God? Christ. Who, who rose from the dead? Who rose from the dead? Do you remember what, what uh, he said, the angel said to the woman that went to the tomb and the, and the disciples, they went there and what were they looking for? What's that? Yeah, a dead Christ. All their hopes and dreams were over. Just like so many think now in some war-torn countries right now. Matthew 28 and verse 1, it says that in the end of the Sabbath, Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. You know, the scriptures are so loaded with truth. Because we know, okay, what is the first day of the week? It's Sunday. And when did Jesus rise from the dead? He was crucified on the cross on a Friday. 
Saturday, spent Sunday, and he rose from the dead on a Sunday. That's the beginning where we were talking about in Acts, the second chapter. We gather around him, Christ. He is, he is God's first day of the week, a brand new creation. So as it began to dawn, and so as we learn, and we've seen this, that we have a more sure word of prophecy in 2 Peter 1.19, don't we? We have a more sure word of prophecy because we have the day star. And when he dawns in our heart, and heart is our mind, it lights us up to, to present realities to the power that Christ is in us with that love that did so much to bring us to that place. So at the end of the Sabbath, what, is, what was the Sabbath? All Judaism and everything is over. It ended at Christ's death. All legalism and all of that. So in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And that stone weighed tons, by the way. The soldiers made sure of it. Because if you study the other scriptures, they wanted to make sure that no, could, no one could roll it back and they, his disciples would steal his body and say he rose from the dead. <laughs> the stone was there, he rose from the dead. Because you cannot contain God's power. So, for the angel of the Lord came from heaven, descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning. Unbelievable. And his raiment, white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Imagine what they saw and the opportunity they had. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, what? What did, what did he say? What is he saying to us? No matter what's going on on this earth today, fear not. Fear not. Fear not you. That's what he said. Fear not. For I know that you seek Jesus, which was, that's past tense, by the way, crucified. He is not here. He no longer re resides in the place of death. Neither do you and I in him. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goes before you into Galilee. You see that? There's not a place that God calls us to, not a circumstance or a situation that he and his wisdom, his love and wisdom has not already gone ahead of us. God calls us to go to a certain place or do a certain thing. And when we obey, who do we find there? Him who's already been there. We walk in his steps in 1 Peter 2 and verse 21. And so as, as the two were sharing the word and, and, and coming to that one place that we are, <clears throat> and we have this ministry. We have this ministry to go tell them. We, we have resurrection life in us, which is Christ in Colossians 3 and verse 4. The fact that he rose for us individually, he gave us that power. He is that power in us, and he's that power in you and I to go witness and minister to others. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? That same life, that same message. Go tell his disciples. Go tell them. And go quickly. 
Go quickly. Go quickly. Why? Because is the enemy waiting? Yes. Go quickly. Trust him quickly. Don't doubt him. Trust him quickly for everything. Because Jesus said to her, now we're in John 11 again, didn't I tell you I was the resurrection and the life and that he that would believe on me, though he were dead, yet will he live? And whosoever lives and believes in me never dies. Your physical body dies. But your spirit and soul, in Ecclesiastes 12, verses 6 and 7, return to God who gave it. Those that aren't born again, their, their spirit and their soul goes into hell and awaits the judgment seat, the great white judgment, in Revelations 20, 10 to 15, <clears throat> and then to be cast into the lake of fire. No wonder he says quickly, go tell Go tell others the message of Christ and the message of freedom. But any, what we see here, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He's the resurrection and the life. He himself is the loved one that came out from the Father in John 1, verse 1, that is there and put on humanity in verse 14. And so we see here, even in resurrection life, what the Lord's power and what his love accomplishes, and what is the, the utmost energy? We see the energy of the enemy, and what, what, what was his energy that was taken away from him when Christ was crucified on Calvary? What was taken away from him? The power of death. That's how his active energy, Satan's active energy is the power of death. To cause people to be extinct? No. To cause them to be separated from Christ through the unsaved, through a lack of salvation, or the believer not submitting to be in, in knowing truth and being, or being taught it, to be separated from him. And when I'm separated from him, what kind of a spirit do I have? Is it, is it power and love and a well-disciplined mind or a spirit of fear? We know that perfect love, love that's completed every single thing about us in 1 John 4 and verse 18, casts out fear because fear has torment, kolesis, punishment, punishment. That's what legalism will constantly uh, be the thing that the enemy will use to teach believers that, see, these things happen to you because you, God is punishing you. He doesn't punish us in that sense. He lovingly disciplines those that are his. There's no question about that. But we see that with all the active evil energy that the enemy could bring against people, against each individual, what did God do through Christ? What did he do? This is what he did. And this is why Jesus was saying this. And we'll see this again in Hebrews chapter 2. And we'll see it in Hebrews 2 and verse uh, 14. Listen, verse 14. Well, look at verse 13, Hebrews 2, verse 13, saying, I will declare your name unto my brethren in the midst of the church, and I will sing praise unto you. That just tells us we always have, when we're functioning in his presence, we have joy, and that's thankfulness. We always have something to be thankful for. <clears throat> verse 13, and again, I will put my trust in him. Did Jesus and his humanity trust his Father for everything? What should we do? He trusted him for every single thing. 
And again, behold, I and the children which you have given me. Here's verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of blood and flesh, he also likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Verse 15, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject unto bondage. For truly, truthfully and truly, he didn't take on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, the type that Isaac is. He took on him the child of promise, that child that was formed in the womb of Sarah when it had nothing to do with Abraham and Sarah, pointing to Christ. So here, the full result, we see the full result of Satan's power. But what we see in, in John 11, 25 and 26 is the perfect triumphing of the Lord over that power. He's already done that. You know, that's why it says, that's why it says now, and it's based upon 1 John 2, 1 and 2, none of us have to sin. Now that we're in Christ, we do not have to sin. Sin is a choice. So is obedience and love returned as a result. None of us have to sin because the power has been destroyed. We don't have to doubt. We don't have to fear. We don't have to sin. We don't have to go back. And when the enemy tempts, James 1.12 is temptation sin. No, blessed is the man that endures the temptation. Doesn't fall into it. Doesn't make excuses for it. But blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he is tried, God never tempts. For when he is tried, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that give that he's, that he's given. So again, the, what is the crown of life? The crown of life is having the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16. What did Jesus not overcome? He overcame everything. That's why it says in Romans 8 and verse 37, we are more than conquerors in him. Now, we have been delivered from the power of sin and death. There is absolutely no question based upon the scriptures. We haven't been yet delivered from the presence of sin because we're still in this world system. In John 17, verse 14, Jesus was in it, but he was never of it, the world system. Neither are we in John 17 and verse 16. Okay, and we're in it. But he overcame it. He overcame all of it. He overcame the world system, the world system, the devil, our flesh. He overcame everything. And in him, we, have, we are what? More than conquerors. Why does it say that? Because there's nothing left to conquer. We may think, based upon the wars that are going on and everything that's happening, some will question God, why does he allow this? And Well, who allowed it? God is bringing out tremendous truths for us that even those, and, and, and our hearts go out, even those that enter into death, those that have Christ as their Savior, what is, what is death? In Ecclesiastes 7.1, but a door into eternity where nothing, death, crying, pain, tears, and never touch us again in Revelations 21 and verse 4 because Jesus, who is the life that died so that we could have that life, is the door into eternity. 
He is the door in John 10 verses uh, in John 10 verses 7 and 9. He's the door furthermore in Isaiah 22 and 22. He's the key that unlocks the door. He is everything. And so the full result of Satan's power was completely and utterly dealt with by Jesus Christ. We, we can turn to this scripture again, and I'm going to read Colossians chapter 2. Buried with him in baptism. That had to do with death. Baptism has to do with death, period. Buried with him in baptism. That brings out the truth of Romans chapter 6, 1 through 6. The moment that I received Christ, I received the fact that he not only died for me, but he died as me in my place as the sacrificial lamb. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, the sacrificial lamb in my place and dealt with all of my sins and removed them in Psalm 103 and verse 12, as far as the east is in eternity and as far as the west is in eternity. He has removed it. So buried with him in baptism, wherein also you were risen. That's Christ, our life. Resurrection life, Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Acts chapter 17 and verse 31. The resurrection is teaching us two things. One, we never come into judgment because Christ took it for us. And he's dealt with everything. Two, a judgment is coming on this earth. There's no question about it. Listen, friends, that's what we see that's going on right now. That is how to interpret it in your mind properly. The lie that began in heaven and entered into humanity in Genesis, the third chapter, is now that full lie is having its work to the very end, soon to be ended. There's no, it's already ended for us. Soon it will be on the earth also during millennial reign and ultimately through all eternity by the time we get to Revelations chapters 20, 21 and 22. But here we see, here we see that we're buried with him in baptism in Colossians 2 and verse 12. Wherefore also you are risen with him through the faith dependence of the operation of God, something that only he could do and did, who has what? Raised him from the dead. And when he rose him from the dead, did he raise us with him that receive him? Is he seated next to the Father above everything? Is that our position in the heavens? in the heavenlies, in the epistle of Ephesians, and absolutely there's no question about that. You, and you being dead in your sins, separated, that's what sin does, the wages of sin in Romans 3, verse 23, is death, but the gift, uh, no, that's Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. In Romans 3, verse 23, all have sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God. But what we see here is you, each one of us now that are in Christ, being dead in your sins at one time in the past, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, your body, has he quickened, enlivened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. The proof that all of our sins are dealt with, and we have an eternal destiny with him forever, is the resurrection. God forbid if there wasn't a resurrection. You read that in 1 Corinthians 15. Look at 18, 19, 20 and down through. But what we see there, what we see there is the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. 
And we are positioned in him right now. That is our position, without any question about it. All our sins have been forgiven, all of them, and dealt with and put away forever, forever. And God always, from that point on, he never removes his eye from the righteous in Job 36 and verse 7. Christ, in 1 Corinthians 1.30, being our very righteousness, he never removes his eye, never changes his mind in Malachi 3.6 and in Numbers 23 and verse 19. So what did he do? He forgave you personally, all of us, all those trespasses and sins, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Look what it says in verse 15. And having spoiled principalities. For us, is that something he's going to do or he's already done? It's already done. It's already done. Spoiled principalities and powers, all those Satan and all his demonic hosts. He made a show of them openly, triumphing, triumphing over them in himself. Some translations say in it, it's in himself. He overcame it all. Are we more than overcomers? We more than conquerors? We are. That's a reality. And that's what Jesus was teaching Mary right there, taking the time to teach her. Isn't that interesting? One person. Through one person he taught, do we all benefit by it? We all get the benefit of it. So the full result of Satan's power was met which was his power, what was the result of his power, but death, separation from God. And how did he do that? He did it by bringing in sin in Genesis 3, 1 to 6. Then it was passed on, the sin nature was passed on through the 23 reproductive chromosome genes of the male sperm. The sin nature was passed on in Romans 5, 12 through 19. It was passed on. But Jesus, how was he was born of what? Of the Holy Spirit. He was born in his humanity. And that's why when we receive him as our Savior, we, we, no, longer, we no longer have anything to do with the flesh. the flesh. The flesh is in us and it likes to manifest itself through sin. But even though the flesh is still in us and God uses it to keep us humble, he doesn't give us grace to sin in Romans 6, 1 and 15, ever, like some would think, which, which is not. But he will use us choosing the wrong way in sin to humble us, no question about that. But he never gives us grace to sin. He doesn't. But by grace, through, uh, through the love and power of God, by unconditional love and grace, he did deal with death and sin and every single thing about it. Satan, we see here, the reason he brought in sin and deceit was, he, what did Jesus call him? When he referred to him, when he was speaking to the Pharisees, the religious crowd of the day, and what did he say? Like some will say, that we are all children of God. doesn't say that in the Bible. We're all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus in Galatians 3 and verse 26. But in John 8 and verse 44, Jesus looked right at those religious crowd, those Pharisees, and look what he said. You are of your father, the devil. And the lusts of your father you will do. Why? What was behind getting us to sin? Getting anyone to sin and be separated. Why? 
He, why? Because what? He was a murderer from the beginning. He was a murderer from the beginning. Where? In eternity, in Ezekiel 28 and verse 15, brought out the thoughts that he thought before he performed them in Isaiah 14, 9 to 17. But here we see this crystal clear that the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he bought an abode not in the truth. What happens when we don't abide in the truth that we know to be true or we haven't been taught? What do we abide in? Death. And what is he doing when we sin and live in death? He's trying to what? Murder, our, murder us. Get us separated. He's a murderer. The thief in John 10, 10a comes to what? Steal, to kill, and destroy. And I want to make this, God would have us make this clear. He's a murderer in the, in the sense of the word kill. But when it says in Exodus 20 and verse 13, you shall not kill, the Hebrew word, we brought this out, I believe it was last week, was ratzak, ratzak, R-A-T, S-C-A-C-H, Ratzak, means you will not murder. See that? Who's the murderer? Who caused Cain to be the first murderer when he refused Christ to submit his will to Christ? He became the first murderer. He murdered. He murdered his brother. And so he was a murderer from the beginning. Why? Because he did not abide in the truth. He's still that same way now, for a time. For a time. And his time's coming up soon. But right now, you know this, in Revelation 12, 9, he's called that old serpent, the devil, right? He, he what? He deceives the whole mass of humanity that doesn't function, hasn't been born again, or Christians that don't function in the truth of who they are in Christ, with Christ in them, or have never been taught that, he can deceive them. And then when we function in Christ and learn the facts about how Christ, through his death and his resurrection, and us receiving him, has made us so one with him, based upon John 17, 11, 21 and 22, and brought out in proper place, we talk about, someone talked about place, uh, this morning, and that is in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. We all have one place as the body of Christ where we gather in local assemblies. And we see that very, very clear in the scriptures. And so we see how the enemy, and as we wrap this up this morning, and we, I want to get into uh, more of these truths on Tuesday and Friday, Monday and Monday and uh Thursday, we started eight, and we're going to continue on prophecy while still having our foundation, us being built up on it, <laughs> and keeping us strong in our foundation while we're being taught prophecy. And then on Tuesday and Thursday, we want to get into this, what this means and what Jesus was saying in terms of resurrection life. But you see, in Revelations 12, 9, he deceives the whole world. And when I function in the flesh, I can only function under him. And I only function in deception. Right? And deception, what is deception motivated by? In Obadiah, verse 3, it's through pride. That's what got Satan kicked out of heaven. That's what made Lucifer into Satan. 
the sun of the morning and reflecting the beautiful glory of God and how he was created as he led choir worship for, for all the angels until iniquity was found in him in Ezekiel 28 and verse 15. And that's when he became Satan, God's adversary and opponent and the opponent and adversary of those that God loves, people, people. And he still functions in that character for now, although his time is coming to a close. But he still functions as a liar, as a liar. That's his character. And as a liar, that character that he functions and manifests is what? That that is opposed to Christ, who is the truth. He's opposed to you and I because we have Christ in us. He's opposed to you individually. And so all the variations and the different capacities of his character are set in opposition to that that's of Christ, of Christ in you and I. That's brought out in this conflict. And listen, from the time of the fall, we're going to close, but from the time of the fall in Genesis 3, 1 through 6, what has been the world system outside of God, outside of Christ, has been conflict. Read James 4, 1 through 4. Wars and all these wars, they come from the lusts that are in the flesh. The lust, the desire to have and control. We're seeing that in living color. We're seeing it. And so what we see here again, and very, very clearly, is we are saved or unsaved, okay, at one point, we weren't saved. We were born into the world system. What was it? How long have wars been going on? When did they start? They started in individuals internally and now manifested outwardly. Wars. And now that we are born again, the height of our battle is even more increased because of the height of our position in Christ. We wrestle not against blood and flesh. In Ephesians 6, 12, we don't. The weapons of our warfare in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down false reasonings based upon lies that bring in death and sin to murder the capacity that we have in Christ through a lack of submitting our will and coming and being taught as much as we can. And so we see that as we, we close this up this morning, that everything He's the destroyer. He, Satan is a destroyer. He seeks to kill, steal, and what? Destroy in John 10, 10, eh? But in B, Christ came that we might have what? Life and life what? More abundantly. Our cup in Psalm 23, verse 5, our capacity to overflow with this power and love and right thinking through right preaching and teaching. And so we see this, that we see this, and we're going to see this on Tuesday, and we're going to close now, but we're going to see the beauty of the, the subtlety versus simplicity and sufficiency. We're going to see the difference in that, and we're going to see it very clearly, and we're going to know that when the enemy can't deceive us, when he can't deceive us any longer, when we function in Christ, what will he do? He will, in Revelations 12.10, accuse us because he hates Christ in us. He's an accuser of the brethren because we've been made one in Christ. Christ made himself one with us. <laughs> Satan's creator, 
Christ in his pre-incarnate state put on humanity to be one with us and deliver us from him. How, how do you think he feels about that? And who cares? Greater is he that's in us. And 1 John 4, 4, than he that's in the world. And this is, this is the victory that's overcome already, past tense, overcome the whole world system in 1 John 5 and verse 4, even our faith. So let, even when we are learning prophecy, let's build ourselves up on our most holy faith, keeping ourselves in the love of God. Amen? So Father, thank you. We look forward, I look forward to tomorrow with Prophecy Tuesday to know more about resurrection life, the life that Christ is. He is the resurrection and the life in us. The proof that he's overcome everything in us. Oh Lord, thank you so much. And we do pray, and I do pray again. And right now specifically, for those that are in Ukraine and in Russia, those that are in the Baltic states, Poland, Hungary, Romania, all these different places, even at Belarus. Father, you're, you're having your way. That isn't the proof that you don't know, and that you're not in control. That is the lie having its full effect. But you are using that as a great opportunity for multitudes. And they needed to be, obviously, in your perfect love and plan, knew that they needed, needed to be shaken so that they would turn to you and not just have their time on earth dealt with, but their eternity. And so, so much for us, you use it to wake us up also. And you have, and we're thankful. You're in control while we still weep with them, pray for them, but we have a great expectation of our great God and Savior soon appearing to end it all. In Titus 2 and verse 13, we look for him. And we don't have to look further than in ourselves because he's there, but we look to go meet him in the clouds of the air in the rapture or before that, but then we come back with him. Oh, and what a beauty we have. What a beautiful life we had. We come back in Jude 10 and 11. Ten thousands and thousands of his saints come back. We come back with him in Revelations, the 19th chapter. And in one word, he ends the whole battle, deals with Israel, deals with their enemies, and sets up his kingdom for a thousand years. We will rule and reign with him for a thousand years, being married to him, while Israel serves him and all nations serve Israel as he rules and reigns over them with us in him. And then we enter into that. And in Revelations 21, we see the new Jerusalem coming down to the earth. And that's the beautiful picture of Revelations 22. We go into the eternity of the eternities. We will share with him Revelations 2 and 17. The hidden manna in the dark times of our life. In Isaiah 45 and verse 3, I'll give you the treasures that you can only find in darkness in hidden riches and secret places, because there I showed you that I was your Lord. And Father, we thank you that we'll have sup with you for all eternity. In Revelations 22, we will sup with you individually and corporately together. Multitudes, what a, oh my God, what we have to look forward to. Never again to be separated for those of our relatives that are born again and gone ahead of, we'll be with them forever and ever and ever. And we'll just be singing. In Revelations 5, 9 and 12, all around the throne, 
singing eternity song, worthy is the lamb. And you'll bring that out with us in a way that individually only you could do with us as individuals. Again, in Revelations 2.17, you will sup with the hidden manna and the white stone, that new nature name that only he who gives it and they receive it know the depth of it. Father, thank you for these beautiful, eternal realities. In Jesus' name, amen.